You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast, and I have Jason Sazma. He's the head of Free CPAP Advice. That's the website too, freecpapadvice.com. So, Jason, thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, what? Uh, how, how did you get involved in the world of uh, CPAPs and sleep apnea? Uh, just working as a sleep disorders technologist. Um, that that really is what got me into it, and then just um, really just trying to fill needs as I saw them. Um, are, you, are you referring more to the genesis of free CPAP advice and then the YouTube channel? Well, just uh, you know, how did you, uh, so you've been a sleep technician? Do you work in a lab or like? Uh, I work in a lab. I also I also have my own business that I run, um, which is it's a sleep diagnostics, home home sleep testing, and I'll do some data analysis for people using a software called Sleepyhead or Oscar, and just show them how to read that. Um, and then I have then I started the website and YouTube channel as well. Okay, interesting. Um, the um, the home sleep study kits. You know, I've, I've interviewed a lot of people that work in the sleep world, but we haven't really talked about them very much. Can you uh, you know tell me what's involved? Everyone always says just go to a lab and you know, get a sleep study done there if you suspect you have apnea. What's the home test like? How's it different? Uh, it depends what kind of test you do. So there's uh, if you were to break down all of the tests, a type one would be an in lab attended sleep study. A type two would be more or less the exact same as a type one with the exception of you're not being monitored by a technologist isn't sitting there monitoring you. Um, so there's not, not that labor involved. A type three is also not monitored, but you ha- you're missing some channels that are to me really important. So you're missing EEG. So you can't really see if you're awake or asleep. And uh, it really depends on, that's the main one that's missing that, that's really important. Um, and then you even have type four and type four is just, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even bother with those. It's usually just an, well, like an you... airflow and oximeter. Oh, okay. Yeah. I've seen the type four, right? So it's a pulse oximeter to see your oxygen saturation and then, um, and then an airflow cannula. Oh, okay. So I, I, I've seen one where they had a pulse oximeter. They had like a strap that goes around your chest. Um, yes. I'm not sure what else they had, but what's, What's typical yes. out there for the home study stuff? So tip almost, I would say 99.9% of them are type threes. 
And the one I happen to do is a type two. I, I like to add the EEG. There's plenty of companies out there and, and sleep labs that are going to do the type three on you. Um, if you were to get into the insurance billing side of like the business side of it, type three and type two, the billing is like $20 difference. So you're not going to get a company that's going to be like, you know, let's do the type two when you could do a type three for pretty much the same reimbursement, but add a whole lot of headache on your side. Um, it's better for the patient, in my opinion, to do the type two. That's why I do them. And I I'd strictly serve people who are willing to do self-pay. Um, so, you know, typically I get like the pilots, people who actually need a type two and want to get back to work as quick as possible. So that's okay. kind of the niche I'm going after. Okay, so how do, you, how do people find you in the first place? Do they get recommended by a primary care doctor or you know, how do they find you? Um, now, it, like at first, it was really just probably word of mouth. I, I did no advertising. I still don't do any advertising. Um, they probably found me based on my YouTube channel. So it's probably someone that came across, was already diagnosed himself, had a family member or friend and just recommended them. Would, I would say those are the first people to come through. But now I have some direct primary care physicians that they, they are, you know, free market physicians. They don't bill insurance and they discovered me. So now my, my company is kind of spreading amongst those guys. So what does it cost to be doing a sleep study in a lab on average versus the, uh, you know, a type two test? Uh, you know what? I'm, I'm so poorly versed in that anymore. I believe Medicare is reimbursing somewhere around 700, $800 for those now. Um, a PPO insurance, I, I don't really know, but they're, I think they're billing like 3300 I don't know how much of that they're wow. actually getting. But, you know, you can pay out of pocket or you can get it done for so much less. It's just, uh, it's a, it's honestly, it's a, insurance is a game I don't, I don't want to be involved in. Right, yeah. I mean, I, I would think that um, even if you paid out of pocket to go to a lab, it would be like at least $1,000, maybe 1500 But what, yeah. what does it run for a type 2 or a type 3 test at home? Um, type threes are, those are all across the board. I think online, I'm seeing a lot of them for around 300, but most of those are coming, uh, they're usually linked up with the online DME. So they're trying to, it seems like there's a, a benefit to a positive diagnosis and they can get like a discount on CPAP equipment. So I've, I've tried to do my best, like really with everything, free CPAP advice, the YouTube channel, everything to try to be as unbiased as I can. So I try not to offer, I don't want to sell equipment to people because then it's like, it's almost like there's a benefit to, oh yeah, you have apnea. How about a, how about I sell you a mask and machine now? Um, so I've tried to keep those separate as much as possible. Gotcha. Well, for the home test, what's the do's and the don'ts? Like I've seen one night recommended and three nights recommended, you know, at least it sounds like you want the EEG, you want as much as possible instrumentation wise, but uh, what are some other recommendations for the home test? Um, I, a recommendation. I don't know that there really is a recommendation other than like with a type three, you just want clean signals that that's the bottom line. You only need one night. I know people used to do like two, three nights and bill for all of them, but really only one night is needed. There's not going to be much variance between them. You know, once the person falls asleep and the whole reason I do a type two is for that sleep time and sleep stage. Cause a lot of the people that come through are either REM specific or they'll be positional. So if someone only needs you know, only has sleep apnea while they're on their back. Well, they, and they don't want to use CPAP. Well, now they have information that they can stay on their side all night and not have to use CPAP. So it just gives them another option to treat it if needed. So to me, there's a lot of value in that. Um, but also you get like an accurate, you, you, know, you eliminate the false positives and false negatives by having an accurate sleep time. So every apnea or hypopnea or rear that's going to be scored, you know, it's going to be validated by, yes, they are actually asleep or you can, 
invalidate it by no, they're not asleep. It just makes it just it's like common sense to me. You want that that parameter in there, but um, the AASM thinks otherwise, I guess. Well, I, I, most people won't know everything you said or understand it. So positional. So you do see a lot of people will have apnea on their back, but not on their side. It makes sense. Yes. Yes. But with, you said something about REM specific. What, what does that mean? So of all the stages, there's N1 sleep, which is if you're awake and you do like, usually it's a five minute or less transition. It's called N1. I have a lot of these sleep stages on my website. Um, if you want to actually see what they look like at presleepupadvice.com. Um, type two is denoted by K complexes. It's just like a sharp up, upward spike and then sleep spindles. So that's stage two. Stage three is typically when you're in really deep, deep, slow wave sleep. So you'll see these, they look like giant mountaintops, the, the brain activity, very slow. Um, you could probably, you know, send a marching band through their room and they're not going to wake up during that. Um, then you have REM sleep and REM sleep actually looks brain activity wise, like someone's awake, their chin, their chin tone will really, really drop. Actually, all muscle tone will drop significantly. And then you'll get these rapid eye movements where they're basically following the action of their dream, I guess is one, one theory. Um, but with all that uh, muscle tone loss, all the muscles will you know, relax. And with that, you come a relaxing of the muscles that hold open the airway. And so someone who doesn't have apnea in stage one, two, or three will sometimes have apnea when they go into REM sleep when all the muscles really relax. And so that's what I mean by REM specific. Mm -hmm. It's it's only during REM sleep or positional, you know, specific. They only have apnea while they're on their back. Right. And it it could be REM specific either on their side and on their back. It doesn't have to be you know just back. So sometimes you're like, well, you kind of have to wear CPAP because when you go into REM, which is an extremely important stage of sleep, you want to have your airway protected by by CPAP or something that's going to hold it open. How could how could someone have apnea on their side? How physically do you think that happens? Uh, the same way it happens when on their back. It's just airway airway is obstructed by something. Could you know, uvula, tongue, small airway, fatty tissue. So even though someone's on their side and things are collapsing downwards, which is to the side, it still is enough to block the airway. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um home study versus going to a lab, I mean, you know, you would think going to a lab would be a lot more disruptive. It's not your bed, you know, people are watching you. Do people, you know, successfully have lab studies, or is it uh, low success rate versus home, or is it the opposite? The home, I don't know. People just don't do the hookups to the equipment right, or they do something wrong to confound it. I mean, what have you seen? Well, that's yeah, that's a that's a lot in that question. <laughs> it's it's all of the above, pretty much. Uh, a lot of it comes down to the perception of the patient. Well, for one thing, in an in lab study, you can get a lot done there. So yeah, the hookup the attachments for the electrodes is going to be better almost a hundred percent of the time. Um, and then even if they fall off, you have someone monitoring those so they can go in and fix it right away. But if they've found to have baseline during the first half of the study, you can go in and apply CPAP or some treatment and have, you know, have the actual treatment pressure right when they leave in the morning. So you have all that information all in one, you know, one visit. Whereas, you know, with a home study, like if you were to use my, we'll just use mine as the example, it's going to be an all night. So your entire night's sleep is going to be the basis of your diagnosis, which, you know, is probably better. If stuff falls off though, you're, you're not, in a, you're probably not going to be happy with the results. Luckily I haven't had that happen yet. I've done quite a few of these. Um, I think I only had one person have to redo it. And usually I just tell them, keep it for a couple of nights. If you feel like something fell off or you don't feel like it's representative of your sleep. Um, is there any use if you're going to do it at home of doing just the pulse oximeter one night? 
and just the EEG EEG and other nights with less stuff attached to you? Um, you, you you could do that. There's been there's some studies that show that the oxygen desaturation index. If you were to just do a pulse ox, it mirrors your apnea hypopnea index almost exactly. So if you know if someone doesn't know what I'm talking about when I say that, it's the number of times you stop breathing or you know you have you stop breathing enough that your oxygen desaturates by four percent or greater would be an apnea or a hypopnea. Um, and then how that correlates with your oxygen desaturation. So how many times your blood oxygen level desaturates per hour. I mean, you just listen to it like that and they sound like they're the exact same, which is why the numbers are so similar. So in truth, I almost don't even know why people are sent home with a home sleep test, you know, type three or any other kind, if the oxygen desaturation index is going to mirror it almost exactly. But you do miss a lot of the respiratory effort related arousals, which are still disruptive to sleep. Um, I, I again, would say you need to do all that on the same night, or maybe it's easier for someone to do one than the other. I think it's better to do it all on one night, personally, because when you, if you're talking about just a type three test, all you're really adding is a cannula in the nose, and then a couple belts around their their chest and abdomen. So why not just add those two two more things and then get all the, or more of the information versus just relying on on the blood oxygen to desaturate? Because not everyone has that. Well, again, if someone's bothered by the belts and uncomfortable and they feel like, oh, I'm going to sleep with all this stuff, it might be easier to start just with a pulse oximeter one night, then don't use it the second night and use all the belts and all the other stuff because it's just one less thing attached to you. You, know? you could, but then like if you're not having... Because then if you're, if you're doing it that way, then you have all these belts attached to you. All you really need is one more thing, and that's the probe on your finger. And then that, you're jacking up the cost on everything as well, and just from like a money standpoint. Because if someone goes home with an ox, oximeter, they're going to be charging 150 a couple hundred bucks for that alone when it's like included in like a type 3 home sleep test. I guess it makes sense. I guess I was just trying to figure out the easiest way to do it, but... You know, really, though, to go back to your point, though, it comes down to personal preference. Some people do just great in, in a lab, and you have so much stuff on you. It, you know, it's it's tough. I've done several of them myself, and there it takes a little bit of getting used to, and it's an environment that I'm used to just through my work. But um, you know, some people home home study is like the way to go. They just don't like the distraction. They don't like sleeping in someone else's bed with someone else's pillow and just you know random noises. It's just it's it's weird. It's like a sleeping in a hotel room, but with every possible distraction. So then again, some people think it's great. Well, that brings you more to my point. Then how could it be effective if it's like that? Why, you know, has sleep labs done anything to try to make it more conducive for people to sleep? Or do they not care? And they just, you know, you sleep, you sleep, you don't, we don't give a shit. You pay this anyway. <laughs> so to, to that, I would say most people, once you do fall asleep, your sleep is going to be accurate as far as what you do when you're asleep because you're, you're unaware of things going on around you. So from that, it's like a, you have to give a little bit of comfort and the perception of everything's great to have a more accurate as far in terms of the data. My dad's a great example of that. He had a great sleep study, but because the tech went into his room like three times, I happened to be there that night. The, the other tech went into his room like three times and he was like, oh, I was getting disrupted all night. This is the worst thing ever. I couldn't sleep. I'm like, dad, you slept like seven and a half hours of the eight hours you're hooked up. You know, you just wake up for this, that half hour. And to him, he felt like it was the worst thing ever. But so I actually went through the data with him and, you know, showed him, no, you're asleep here. This is all sleep. And he's like, I don't remember it that way. You know, so a lot of people will have that perception. But on the flip side of that, you have some people that, that feel like that was the best night of sleep they've ever had in their life. So really patient perception is, is where everything is. Well, that's interesting. If someone feels like, they didn't sleep well. I don't see how they could feel good, even if they, they slept a bunch of hours. So what? What? 
you know, think about that. Like your dad said, he hated it and he got woken up and all this stuff. So to him, he perceived he had a terrible night. And I would bet that he didn't feel good that day. He was all pissed off and stuff. So somehow, you know, even though he, you, you say, oh, well, he was asleep. His perception was that his sleep wasn't good. So I bet you it affected him that way, in a bad way. Yeah? Well, yeah, but you have to, so there's two answers to that in, in, in my head. One being everyone that goes in there is already somewhat pre-screened. So you have a pretty good idea they're going to have apnea. Either they're, they already have daytime sleepiness. Like they already have that as right. they got them in there. They have snoring or they have witnessed apnea. So, you know, with all those things, most of these people already feel like hell during the day anyway. So going to a sleep lab, you're just going to feel like hell anyway. Um, oh, God, I forgot the second part of what I was going to answer. <laughs> well, again, I, I'm just I'm just really curious about it, though. Like, I wonder how much it correlates. If I feel like I didn't sleep well, and I feel like I got woken up a lot, I tend to not have a good day. You know, I feel like damn dogs woke me up a hundred times or kids and you know, I didn't sleep well, so I just feel like, ugh. Mm-hmm. It, it, it doesn't seem like, you know, if I don't feel good that I had a good sleep. It seems like it correlates. Do you think it might not correlate for people or it's always going to correlate? Well, some people, okay, so there's also another flip side of that where people go in and they end up getting treated on CPAP and they still feel like they didn't have a great night, but then they notice during the day, wow, you know, I actually feel a lot better than I normally do, even though I feel like I was woken up a lot. So they had like, you know, maybe four hours of what I would say is like perfect sleep, whereas the first half of the night was a diagnostic. Second half of the night, they got CPAP and they were treated and they find that, wow, I actually feel a lot better. It wasn't an ideal night, but they kind of know that coming in. Hopefully the technologist is describing that. In fact, like when I used to work nights, that's exactly what I would tell them. This isn't a perfect night. We're trying to compile data. You're probably going to feel like garbage the next day. We're really just trying to get this data and just try to explain most of that to them so that when, you know, the next day they go out and they're they kind of understand where you're coming from and they understand that it's not meant to be a perfect night's sleep. It's all about data collection. Yeah. Like, um, you know, I keep very, very late hours and I was going to go for a sleep study a long time ago and they're like, all right, you got to be here. And you know, you go to bed at nine and we kick you out at like five or six. And I was like, how's that going to work? I don't even go to bed till like three. It's ridiculous. Yeah. They're like, yeah, oh, well, that's what we do. So they're like, why are not coming then? You get it. Yeah. So someone like you, that's that like worse. That's a home sleep test is perfect. You're like, when I'm ready to go to bed, I hit the button and I go to sleep like when I want to. Yeah, exactly. I, it just made no sense if the sleep lab was like that. It's like, well, how nice for you, but a lot of people don't go to bed at night. That's crazy. You know? yeah. Especially if someone's like, not a super late night hour like me, but just a normal night owl at midnight. What are they going to do? Lay there for three hours and you're going to tell them they can't sleep? You know, it's not representative. It makes no sense. Yeah, I can. Under- I definitely understand that point of view for sure. A lot of those people, though, like the, like someone like yourself, did you lay there awake or did you fall asleep pretty fast? I didn't go. <laughs> oh, you didn't even go. I just ended up not going because I was like, this is a waste. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. A lot of those people that like, I, you know, I only go to bed at 1 a.m. Um, and you're like, well, you know, it's like 1030 or 11 now. You know, can you just give it a shot? And they usually fall asleep right away. I, I don't know that I've had any of them that actually stay awake till their normal bedtime. Okay. Gotcha. Well, let's, let's get on to the CPAPs themselves. That's uh, yeah, that's your bailiwick more. Um, you know, legend has it. I don't know a lot of people just don't do well with them. What what are some of the problems you've seen people have adjusting to them, and do they give up on them? Like, what's it like when people first get a CPAP? Uh, so okay, so that's that's why I started free CPAP advice and all the tutorials I do on YouTube. That's the number one reason. So I, I was repeating the same stuff to people over and over, and a lot of it comes down to in the lab 
for whatever reason, um, I don't think they're put on the appropriate pressure a lot of time. Um, so you have, you know, two components, you have the correct pressure and then you have, um, other, other errors such as mouth leaking and mask leaking. And you can almost boil down all problems to inappropriate pressure or mask mouth leak. And so I was, it's really just trying to show people the relationship between the two and, you know, one, one person might not be on the right pressure, so they just completely give up. Or the other person might have a mouth leak. So really, like, they might as well not be wearing CPAP anyway. I don't know if you understand, you understand the relationship, well, I'm sure, of, of that, right? Well, let, like, you know, let's get into it. So a CPAP blows air into your mouth and or nose, right? Yeah. Um, when you're inhaling, okay, fine. It blows your, you know, your mouth open. You go, suck it in. What about when you blow out? Does the CPAP stop? Or does the pressure go down so you blow out or you have to blow against the pressure? So I would say like it doesn't – I wouldn't say that it blows in. I think that's kind of misrepresentative of what it does. It, what it is, it's a closed system. And so all it's doing is it's trying to maintain a static pressure in your entire upper airway and lungs, whatever that pressure may be. Let's just say eight centimeters of water pressure. It's trying to maintain that pressure. So if you inhale, it will – yeah, it, it will turn up the pressure a little bit to try to make up for that vacuum that void of air being you know sucked in when you're breathing but when you breathe out it's going to lower the pressure because now it's getting pressure back which is increasing the pressure so that the fan has to blow at a less speed so it's not like you know people feel like it's going to like blow at them like it's a like a jet engine but it doesn't do that unless there's like a mouth leak or a leak somewhere in the mask because now it's trying to fill up that void and then you get that rushing effect okay so if the, if the mouth mask is leaky you can never build up enough back pressure and it'll keep blowing harder and harder into you. Yes. Yeah. It's trying to, it's trying to make up for that lack of uh, pressure that it's you know sensing a lack of. Well, I know the answer to this question, but CPAP <laughs> masks aren't, uh, aren't customized to the person with like a scan of their face and the, you know, custom made. They're just off the shelf, right? They are off the shelf. If I'm not mistaken though, there are some companies that are starting to try to um, get into that space. Then you have a, a company, Circadians, that makes a cloth mask. So it um, it's it's tend, tends to be a little prone to leaking, but it's all cloth and doesn't you know it can really conform to just about anything. Huh. So from a comfort point of view, it's good, but it, it does it's it's pretty tough to get leak free. There's definitely a little patience with it. Well, all right. So what causes uh, the leaks? Is it just you know certain people's? If someone has like a narrow face, or someone's like you know very overweight, then what causes uh, you know? mask misalignments well a lot of it isn't so much from let's just uh usually so mouth leak is a number probably the number one cause so people wake up with like a dry mouth and that's you know one clue that you have it and so what we mentioned before like when you go into REM sleep especially all your muscles really relax and so with that you, you can get some air blowing out of your mouth um, which is a mouth leak and that's going to drop the pressure and you're going to get a cycle of air blowing in your nose and rushing out of your mouth and so with that, CPAP's not going to be effective and that person quits because it's not working. So there's one problem right there. Um, with a full face mask, a lot of people will think, uh, you know, hey, my nose and my mouth are both covered up, so I'm closing the system. But what can happen with that is, you know, people put the mask on um, when they're awake and they have like that muscle tone. And then when they relax, their jaw will fall back or slide down. And then with that, mm. you get like gaps in the side, which creates that same rushing effect. So one of my big things that I, I tell people is you have to do something to lock your jaw into place. So double-sided boil and bite mouth guard or some kind of a soft cervical collar that's going to keep your chin up in a, a position. I know some people even like tuck a pillow underneath their chin. It's really anything to keep it to stay in place. 
to maintain that that integrity of the mask fit. That's crazy. Um, hmm. I don't know, like software wise, isn't there a way for the? Uh, why couldn't you have a mask that's deliberately leaky and then establish just a background pressure, and then when they inhale, you know? Well, they are. They are. I don't know. I guess the pressure would change. But, hmm? They are deliberately leaky. They have so they have the exhalation port where all expired air is. You know, there's always that constant leak. So that's like your that would be your expected leak, and then once it gets to be too much, you can overwhelm the CPAP and it can't keep up at that point. Why can't they program that in? Why can't I wear one? And they look at the pressures and I breathe in and out and then I deliberately move my jaw down a little bit and see how that changes and then see what the pressure range is there. Like you could you can't accommodate for that? Well you could and they, they do, but that's when you start getting to a point where you get that rushing effect of air just blasting you as it's trying to fill that back pressure. They, well, they kind why of would they yeah, but why would the pressure suddenly go down that much? You know, it, I would think you could account for that. If the pressure all of a sudden goes down to this level and it never rises above this level, that means the jaw has dropped. So don't, oh, actually, yeah, you'd have to blow harder and harder. To get yeah, exactly. That's, yeah. So that's when you start feeling like I'm, you're just getting blasted with air. And that's the point where patients will take it off. There's some machines, hmm. there's one called the Sleep Style. It's a Fisher Pike uh, machine and it has something called, is it Smart Start? Or I can't remember what it's called, but it'll sense things like that and it'll it'll turn the pressure down so that the mask can reseal and then slowly ramp the pressure back up so it's a pretty cool device that um uh, it's, i think that's a pretty nice um what do you call pretty nice improvement in, in uh, machine technology so what's some of the questions you get asked and what are some of the recommendations and what are the things that people have trouble with the most just what we're talking about it'll be um like types of mask which ones you know which one's the best mask um, and then fixing, you know, how come my pressure doesn't seem right? So, you know, like we talked about, it's pressure's not right, or they have a mouth mask leak, or their mask just isn't one that's comfortable for them. So masks, you really have to just try them out. It's like dating. You, you know, there might be a really nice mask. So it'd be a nice spouse for someone else, but you, you couldn't stand being around them. So you just have to try out a bunch of masks, see which one works for you, and, uh, you know, make the most of it. But there's a lot of good masks out there now. So that's nice that the, the options are there. Well, what are some of the main differences in the masks and what do people like or not like about them? Maybe just a couple variations. Uh, so you have uh, headgear will be different. Some people don't like it low around the back of the neck. Uh, that's one of them. Some people just don't like headgear at all. And so there's some that are minimal or have nothing. And then the other thing is people who use full face masks um, will get pressure sores on the bridge of their nose. And so now they have full face masks that actually cradle underneath the nose, but yet still cover up the mouth. So, you know, there's a lot of options out there. There's even masks that are just fully oral. Like, they just actually plug into your mouth and, and have no headgear. And then another one that's pretty new on the market um, that it uses adhesive and just, um, you know, you tape it to your nose and there's no headgear. Huh. And do people mostly sleep on their back or do they sleep on their side? I mean, what makes the mask work easier or is it more difficult? I don't think it really matters. You know, people... You know, I, I have no idea statistically what how people sleep at home, but most people tend to you know flip and flop all over the place, like in the sleep lab, you know, back right. side side. But at home, I'm not really sure what people do. I know I'm all over the place at home. I don't know what you do. Are you all over the place yourself? Um, pretty much exclusively on my side, but I you know turn over one side to another you know a few times or a lot of times. It just depends. Gotcha. Yeah. With the, I mean, with the CPAP, though, how could someone even turn over if they're on their side? How do they bring all that stuff with them without, like, ripping it out of the wall or up their face? That's just the tube. 
just a tubing. So it's uh, what six feet long. So you should uh, usually it's like right by their bedside. So they should have about three feet of play on it. Some people will wrap it up above their headboard or um, have some kind of a, a system to hold the hose. That's not really needed though. It's it's really not a lot of weight to if you flip over. Have you ever slept with a CPAP mask? No. I haven't gotten uh, yeah. to that point. I think I think I'm okay on my sides, but uh, it seems like it feels like it. Thankfully, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's really not that bad. I, I sleep with it all the time. It's not bad at all. Oh, you know, really? there okay. might there might be a, like a learning curve for some people that you know at first it's it's annoying, but you have to get you know most people get diagnosed between like when they're you know forty to you know sixty. So you yeah. had forty years of sleeping without one. So yeah, you're going to be a little snarky when you, when you first start using something. It's like sleep time. You know, you want to be left <laughs> alone. It's the end of the day. You just, right. I don't. I don't need any more crap with me. So you have to get over that that hump. And then once you realize it's there to help you and that there is a benefit during the day, you know, then it's it's easy. There's some people though that like I can understand. Like they have that mouth leak, mask leak. Um, the pressure's not right, and they're like, "Well, why am I wearing all this stuff if I'm not getting the benefit?" And this, those are the people that quit. And so those are the people that I'm really going after in those YouTube videos. I'm really trying to like, hey, here's here's your problem and here's how to fix it. And, you know, then you, you'll be good. And so a lot of these people, you'll get positive feedback. Like, oh, my God, thank you so much. You, you know, you saved my life, my marriage, my job um, just with that little that little tip. So, That's even though it's, you know, you know, to me or to any other sleep tech, it's like it's, you know, you, you see it all the time. So it's it's no problem. But if someone's not working in the field. Like, I don't know. I have no idea how to put on a podcast like you do. But to you, it's probably easy. You probably do several a day. I have no idea yeah, how exactly, you can start. Right. So just well, sharing the information, you know. At first, it's uh, it's difficult and awkward. Then you get into it. Then it's like breathing, you know, easy. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Interesting. Well, so what's, uh, what's ahead for your channel or for the CPAP world? What do you see coming that's really cool? If anything, um, you know, not a lot as far as like gadgets and things. Um, the problem with CPAP is that it's it's just it's so effective, <laughs> and it's it's a, you know there's been like ideas. I don't know if you've heard of the airing. It's a it's supposed to be a device. It's basically a little self-contained CPAP. But if you just look like if you just look at the device, you kind of realize that it's not something that can be built. And then you're like, well, okay, even let's pretend like it was built. Like the technology is really advanced. You're like, well, okay, it's still it's still CPAP, it's still blowing air, and you're still going to run into the exact same problems you do with like a you know regular one that you plug into the wall. Um, so it's you know a lot of people you know they they complain, oh, CPAP's antiquated. It's you know there should be something new, but yet you know we're driving around on cars with tires that the caveman apparently thought up, but no one's complaining about that. It's just it works. So mm. you know if it works, um, then keep using it. There's been yeah, you know, studies like, have you heard of hypoglossal nerve stimulation? They call it the tongue tongue nerve shocker. <laughs> exactly. I, yes, I haven't exactly. seen it, but it sounds horrible. You know? But maybe it works. Wait. I don't know. Yeah, some people are like, oh, this is gonna be this is gonna be great. Oh, this is gonna be the best thing ever. It's gonna you know you zap your t- your tongue and hold it open. But then you're like, okay, well, I'm kind of being. You have that feeling of being uh, like shocked all night. Or if you've ever used like yeah. a tens unit, like that that low level kind of tingling from. Oh, the buzzing. I, yeah, I've heard it's like that, and so huh. I, I I don't know if I could sleep with that that tingling going on. But yeah. maybe you get used to it. Maybe you get used to it. I, I have no idea. Well, if the CPAP works for you, and you know, if you can, if you can help more people tolerate it and use it, then uh, that's a great thing. The nice thing about CPAP is it's not permanent. You you cannot wear it. It's not like a, you have to have any surgical intervention. Um, it's not you know you have no surgery like mandibular advancement where they break your jaw and pull it forward. 
there's no surgery. There's, it's nothing permanent. So that's like, that's really the best thing about it to me. It's, it's really simple and it works. So really what more could you want? Are you able to, so with a home sleep study, who gives the prescription for the CPAP? Like you can't just buy these in the black market, right? Oh, you can buy them on the back black market <laughs> for sure. Oh, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. They're, they're all over Craigslist. Um, you can always, you can always find them. Um, but yeah, so if someone were to have my home sleep test, I have a doctor refer them like any home test, the doctor has to refer them and then whatever the results are, go back to the doctor and they're the, the one that's going to write the prescription. If people pay, uh, you know, most people, I guess would be on insurance for these things. If you need to change a mask or, you know, fix things, um, Will insurance pay for it or will they fight you or is the secret mostly in like the chin, you know, holding the chin in place or like if you were to boil this down to maybe one thing, maybe two things that really cause people trouble, is it just keeping their chin from dropping? Yeah. So some, yeah, like a mouth leak, any type of like mouth mask leak is like a number one problem. And then the other one is inappropriate pressure. I think those inappropriate are the meaning not enough or too much or what, not enough or too much, or maybe they need bi-level instead of straight CPAP. Um, so, you know, someone who's having central apneas or maybe they're really sensitive to CPAP and just slight increases will cause them to go into a central apnea run. So people like that, you, you're usually expecting it if they have congestive heart failure or uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, you're kind of looking for that. You, you know, they're going to be more susceptible to it. Um, oh, but yeah. Can we talk about that briefly for a minute? What happens and what is central apnea? Central apnea, it's when you're not even trying to breathe. So your airway is open. There is no obstruction, but you're not even attempting to breathe. Does the CPAP so you, train people to do that? Does it make them more likely to have that? No. So you don't breathe. You're, you're triggered to breathe when there's a buildup of carbon dioxide. And so if there's no carbon dioxide there, you have no desire to breathe. And so you get a central apnea. And so uh, bi-level, you have a higher and a lower pressure and it, it, it just helps regulate it because usually you get like a buildup of CO2 and then you hyperventilate and get all of it. So you, you get rid of all of it. So then you don't breathe and then it builds up again and then you hyperventilate. It's like the signal is delayed. The comparison I like to use is huh. like H, HVAC unit where you have it set for a high and a low. Then it gets real hot in the room and then the air conditioning kicks on and it gets too cold. Then it gets too hot and it gets too cold. It's like the same kind of same kind of setup. So people with central apnea, if they stop attempting to breathe, the system ramps up the pressure to like, you know, to kickstart them into breathing. It's not so much the pressure, but the pressure differential. And it just, all it does is prevents the CO2 from building up too much. That'll throw them into that cycle. So it's better at regulating it. It also does assist in breathing just by having the differential. Oh, okay. But it's a, it's a whole new animal. So some people will get put on bi-level and they don't even need it, which, you know, they can just be fine with CPAP. So you get a lot of problems like that. Is bi-level, is that what a BiPAP is or is it called? Yeah, BiPAP, BiPAP is just a trade name. It's owned by Respironics. So oh, the, appro okay. the appropriate term is always bi-level. Mm. Any other uh, problems people have? Like, I don't know, the tube itself, you know, cleaning it. Uh... Oh yeah, cleaning is always a huge issue. Um, there's a lot, of, a lot of talk with that. So I, are you familiar with the SoClean? Um, they have Virtuox now. I see a bunch of other devices out there there's a lumen i think it uses ultraviolet light or something to try to clean them mm -hmm. um, to me though really just you know soap and water is works great I, I personally make a product i saw on amazon that you know if you don't want to you know use soap and water you can spray my product in there and just rinse it off there's mask wipes to wipe it off really i think like mask wipes my product and soap and water are the best things to use 
just because you're trying to get off the grease, you know, the grease from your, your face, that's going to degrade the silicone and it doesn't fit quite as well. Um, mm. But all that other stuff, like the SoClean that uses oxygenated air, I'm just not seeing bacteria as being a problem with people who use CPAP. You know, you'll get really? a million people to argue the other side, but there's been no cases of anyone getting sick from bacteria on their mask. What about humidification? If you, you know, if you get really dry from all that air blowing on you? Um, yeah, you can. You can. If there's a leak, for sure you will. Um, I personally don't use humidification. Um, but yeah, uh, you definitely have to adjust humidification like for the seasons. Some people get you know really hot or really dry in their, their area, and they, they need to ramp it up a little bit. Um, I guess you could, yeah. always humidif- you could use a room humidifier, and that'll translate to the CPAP air that gets sucked in, right? You know, I don't know. I would think it would, but I, I really don't know. Okay. Well, very good. So the best way for people to uh, get in touch is what? YouTube channel or what's, what are the ways oh, yeah. that? Uh, YouTube channel. I have a, my forum, freepcpapadvice.com forward slash forum, or my YouTube channel is the Linky Lefty 27 um, <laughs> Yeah, those are the best ways. Okay. Well, Jason, I appreciate what you do. I mean, uh, you know, you go far above just being a tech and you're helping people and saving lives. So thank you for coming oh, yeah. on the podcast. Oh yeah. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Hold on a second. You're listening to the future tech health podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious that we all have medical issues where we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials, or even starting to appear on shelves, or by prescription, or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you.